Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Steinbach, and if you were sleeping through the first part of the service, you realize that I am not Pastor Brandon. I am one of the elders here at Life Community Church. It's my pleasure to have been here. Uh, My wife and I have been here since 2000, back when we used to meet over at Vineyard Elementary School. And we've been through all the uh, many changes of the church. I've served elders several times, and I'm sort of a chief cook and bottle washer. I just go from thing to thing. By trade, I'm a water treatment operator. I work at a big water treatment plant out in Shalam, which serves water for the uh, San Luis Obispo and Santa Barbara counties. So uh, I'm here half the time, half the time I'm not. So if I look a little spacey or uh, I don't always remember your name, give me a little bit of grace and uh, remind me of that. But so you're thinking, all right, Pastor Brandon's not here. All right, now we're going to have an elder do a sermon. And now the elder's going to be doing a sermon on the book of Job. Why did I get out of bed this morning? (laughs) This would have been a good morning to start watching golf on television. Probably the most boring thing known to man is to watch golf on TV. I'm sure it's a challenging sport, but it's a little bit like going through the book of Job. And (laughs) frankly, uh, ever since I I became a Christian, within a year or two, I had had gone through the Bible a couple times. I had a great zeal for when I I first started uh, coming to faith. And uh, because of that, I, I, I became a Bible study teacher very early in small groups, and that's what I've done most of my adult life. And right now I'm in a bad place, so hopefully in a year or two, once I, I, I retire here, then I can, I can go back to doing small groups, which is sort of my first love. But I just, trying to be a realist, it's just kind of like how you look when you, you know, just because you're an elder doesn't mean you don't think like everyone else, but you open your Bible for those of you who still have physical Bibles anymore, and you open it to the middle and you just happen on the book of Job. Maybe you're going to Psalms or someplace else, or you're doing one of those Bible in a year studies, and it's your, it's your chore now to get through the book of the 42 chapters of Job, and just say, God, you really owe me after me putting through, through all this. It can be a difficult book for many of us, especially if we've been away from the word for a long time or we're new believers. Pain and suffering, accusation and condemnation, you know, that's, that's not usually where we want to go for our morning devotional when we're having our cereal and our first cup of coffee. But it's also a place where if you've, if you've been down this, uh, the road of the Christian life, you've been through some hard things in your life, you've experienced the death of family members, you've lost jobs, you've had a been involved in a tragic accident, or you see the, the death and destruction that so permeates our world, you can, um, you can be at this place where the book of Job can really satisfy some deep things from you. Uh, as Daniel alluded to, that blessed be the name of the Lord, that comes from the book of Job. And sometimes we sing it as a happy song, but when you understand the depths of where it comes from the book of Job, it takes on a more mature meaning. So I have provided notes for you there. I'm, I, I apologize. I give lots of notes and lots of scripture references for those of you who want them. If I say anything else profound or you find something else meaningful, feel free to write that down or just to experience what we're going to have today. So we'll move on to our first slide here. Pain, suffering, and the sovereignty of God. And you're still here. That, that, that's a good sign. Now, for for those of you, uh, when you look at the Bible, you get into the book of Genesis, you know, you think of that as being the beginning. Uh, Creation starts at some time around 4000 BC or even earlier than that. And you work your way through. Job is put in with the wisdom literature books like Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. So it's just, just a little left of center of the middle of the Bible. And you get to the time of Jesus, which begins in 4 BC. 
So that's like 4,000 years of history have happened. You get into the epistles and uh, the gospels, the epistles, and then you get into Revelation. That's the whole context. And you sort of think, well, Job must be somewhere in the middle, maybe a little time before the king of David. But actually, the, uh, the book dates back much earlier. Now, that timeline there, which you can't read behind you, but that's just an idea of the expanse of the Old Testament. And it's always good to use a study help or something like that when you go through a book, so that way you, have, you can understand it in the context of the time that it involved. And the first uh, bubble that you see on the left, that's creation, which I said is something about 4,000 uh, B.C. And then you move to that ne- very next one, which is for the patriarchs and Abraham, and then there's a little black dot down there at the bottom. That actually represents the time of Job. Job occurs very early in the biblical narrative. And I've given you some uh, notes there in your uh, Bible to help you kind of follow along that and why we'll support that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it occurs very early in the biblical narrative, and that, that helps our understanding. Cool facts about the book of Job. I sound like a youth group leader already. <laughs> it's believed to be the oldest book in the Bible. It's dated after the flood in the time of Noah, uh, but before Moses, uh, sometime between 2350 and 1750 BC. Uh, Moses lived between 1525 and 1350 BC. So the events in the account of Job happened six to 800 years before Moses is even born and takes that little boat ride down the Nile. And uh, an important part for my life is Job takes place, uh, these events in his life that we read occur when he's 60 years old, which is how old I am now. And so he goes through this tremendous upheaval in his life. And then after it's all done, it says in the end of uh, Job 42, that Job lives for 140 more years. So this wasn't the end for him, everything that he's going through. And like many of the early patriarchs, and this is one of the reasons for the early date of it, uh, the, the righteous tended to live very long lives even after the flood. And, uh, and, and Moses lives for, uh, I mean, Job lives for 200 or more years. Summary of the book of Job, looking at it from sort of a satellite view. Job was a wealthy, righteous man, it tells us in chapters 1 and 2. Like Abraham, he had immense flocks. He had multiple properties. He, uh, he, he, was, able to, he was able to buy a, a Tesla in cash. You know, he, was, he was sitting really good. And he had this, he had this great, great family, extended family. Who had, he had multiple children, which was one of the signs of the blessing of God. And everything was going great in his life. And... Uh, 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 as, as he finally has everything taken away from him in chapters 1 and 2, uh, Job, uh, his, his, his friends, some of his uh, compatriots come and they sit with him and they spend some time with him and in silence, just in the shock that Job has lost, every, he's lost everything, all of his property, he's lost some of his family, and finally he, is, uh, uh, he, he has these debilitating sores that occur all over his body and he's just racked in pain. And I, I think it might be the earliest biblical account of shingles. It sort of sounds like uh, late onset shingles. So we've had some of that in our family. So if you're the age of a certain age, 50 or more, and your doctor recommends getting the shingles shots, I, I encourage you to do that because it's a painful experience. But, but his friends come and they spend a week from, with him, and that's the best thing that they do. They actually spend some time with him and get the depth of his suffering. But I think it was also a little bit of how we sometimes enjoy seeing people when, they, when the mighty have fallen, we see a celebrity fall or something like that, or something bad happens in somebody's life that we don't like. We, we enjoy their misery a little bit, and I think there was some of that kind of going on with his friends, just enjoying. It's like this guy who's been so prominent in our community, he's cast down, and so I've, I've moved up, and I'm sort of enjoying his pain and suffering. 
So they come and they confront him with the possible causes of, of suffering. They accuse him and they just degrade him. But Job denies his guilt. And ultimately in chapter 42, God has a conversation with Job, restores his life, his health, and his wealth. And that, that's sort of the big view. So now we're going to take a little smaller in-depth view of some of the things that we learn in the book of Job, which you may not know about, is about Satan. We learn in chapters 1 and 2 that Satan roams the earth and that he has access to the throne of heaven. He is the accuser seeking opportunities to attack. It tells us in 1 Peter 5.8 that uh, the devil, your adversary, uh, prowls the, uh, the earth like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. His authority to act comes from God, and he can take away wealth and cause pain, but God does not allow him to take Job's life. Instead, he's just in this point of so much misery that he wants to die, but he can't. And most importantly, with any book of the Bible, when you're doing any study of the Bible, uh, no matter where it takes you, always write down if it's not part of what you're doing is, what does this book teach me about God? And we, the most important thing we learn from the book of Job is not really about suffering. It's about God's sovereignty, that he has power over Satan. He has power over nature and creation. And God has power over man, and man is given understanding. But man is to respect God even when he cannot understand his ways. And that's the inner battle that Job uh, finds himself in as, as we, we read this book. Now, fortunately, as elders, we have access to secret pictures, which you may not have customarily in your Bible. I believe this is an accurate picture of Job, as he may have been uh, in those days. And uh, oh, I, I think Jeff cut that off. You'd have seen it a little lower. You could have seen his belly button. If you ever wanted to see Job's belly button, that would have been the place. But it looks like that's been uh, photoshopped out for us. But this, this is sort of the position that Job's in. Uh, as, it, uh, as it says in the uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, that you know, this guy, he was a righteous dude. Uh, Ferris was. But anyway, so this is actually Homer Simpson, for those of you who don't know. And he's the, kind of the, the buffoon of the cartoons. But he was a nuclear power operator. Those are really smart people. You, know, you, don't, you don't get to do that just being a donut eater. But he's had this great life. He's, he, everything has gone well for him. He has all this wealth. He has all this power. He, has, uh, he just has all this authority in the kingdom that he's a part of. And he has this great family. And on top of that, he, he's uh, constantly uh, donating to the poor, and he's, he's offering sacrifices for his family and his church, uh, and, uh, for his kids, even just the possibility that he was sinned. He was someone who was very conscientious. And like many of the early patriarchs, life has been really good for him. He has all the blessings in the world. And we sort of think like that sometimes in our life. We get in that situation where uh, we've got this great job now, or we're finally able to live here on the central coast in this great place. And we have this great family. We have this great church. We've got the little, my kid is an honor, uh, honor student stickers on our car. And we're just proud of everything that's going on in our life. And it seems like it's going to be like this forever until suddenly it's not. So uh, what we learn about Job, and this is where some of the accounts for the early, uh, the early account of Job, he comes from Genesis chapter 36, verse 33. Job is Jobab. He's the second king of Edom. He's a descendant of Esau, who was the, the twin brother of Jacob. Job is blameless. He's upright. He fears God. He's a man of integrity. And he humbly accepts God's judgment, at least in the very beginning. But eventually, from this ongoing chronic suffering, 
and just the, the weight of everything, every disaster that's happened upon his life. And then it's these, these contemporary friends come and they accuse him, they degrade him, they mock him, and they, they, they try to get him to confess to something that he hasn't done. And he resists that and he becomes more hard-hearted. And so eventually his plight leads to self-pity and self-righteousness. And so the key verse I would have you get from today isn't even from the book of Job. And the whole heart of this is how we deal with people in our lives and our family, our spouses, our uh, people here in our own church, people who are suffering, how the instruments of change that we want to be. And we don't want to be like Job's friends who we're going to take a closer look at now. It's from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. And I would pray that would be your prayer today. I encourage you to write that verse down, to circle it, and to make it a part of your, uh, the verses that you memorize and meditate upon this week. Now, I know this is a much more accurate depiction of Job's friends because it's a black and white. And in the year 2100 BC, all they had was black and white Polaroids. So it's, it's not as good. Well, I know we have a little bit of a younger audience here. Is there anyone here who don't know who the Three Stooges are? They're, it's pretty young. Yeah, that's right. I appreciate the honesty. I do. Uh, the Three Stooges date back to uh, uh, the, the, uh, 1922, I believe it is. They were a vaudeville act originally, uh, all, an all-Jewish troupe of uh, uh, vaudeville comedians. And eventually they had their heyday from 1936 to about uh, ni- uh, ni- 1934 to 1946. Uh, they put on about, uh, about 90 of these short films, which uh, just become generationally popular. They, uh, they, they were very popular up until their death in the mid-70s. Lots of hijinks, lots of uh, hitting and slapping and eye-poking. Pretty much what's going on right now in the middle school right now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But we're going to get to look at these friends and these stooges and how they, uh, how they dealt with Job and, and his misery. The first of these is Eliphaz, friend number one. This is the three stooges known as Larry Fine, and I, I consider him to be the most sympathetic and gentle of the three stooges, if there is such a thing, and so I've chosen him first. Eliphaz the Temanite, or Larry for short. He's from Genesis chapter 36, verse 11. He was likely the eldest son of Esau of his first wife, Ada. His approach to Job is more subtle and gentle, and that's why I've chosen Larry. Uh, and he, he, he speaks uh, out of the wisdom of the day. Your downfall is due to sin. Repent and seek God. Do not despise God's discipline. And, and there is cases in life where that is good counsel. We've all had chances, times when we, we know we've blown it, we've sinned, we've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, we've been dishonest. We've, we're, we're dealing with addiction or we're dealing with pornography or we're dealing with some other issue in our life and we know we've blown it. And not all the time, but sometimes we face consequences for those decisions. And when, we're, when, that, when that's happening, we're getting what we deserve. But most often what happens in your life when your children get sick, when you're dealing with the death of a parent, when there's a car accident, when you lose your job, when you're just in that despairing point of the soul, a lot of those times have nothing to do with our sin. It's just living in the curse of the world that, that we're in. We're living in a world that is slowly dying and in, in desperate need of Jesus. And there's just times when uh, things happen to us. They happen all the time to, to good people. 
And it can be a hard thing to understand. But as Job becomes more resistant to this, this talking, because he, he didn't do any sin, he becomes, more, uh, he becomes more obstinate, and so Eliphaz becomes more sarcastic and forceful in the different times that he speaks. And so now we're going to go on to Larry's good friend, Bilidad. Friend number two. This is Mo, who is the, uh, the on-camera leader of the Three Stooges, and their leader in real life. He was the one that handled all their finances, so they didn't waste all their money. And so he was often the leader of the hijinks and the aggression. And usually the, if someone was going to put you down or slap you in the face, it was probably going to be Mo first. And so he is an, he is an apt uh, character here to represent Bilidad. And Bilidad the Shuite, he's found from Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He's a descendant of Abraham and his wife Kurta from the tribe of Shu. He is, he is more blunt and briefer than Eliphaz, and that's why he's represented by Mo. And so just put yourself in that situation. Maybe you've gone through the loss of a business or you've gone, you've gone through some personal tragedy in your life. And on top of it, you're, you're really desperately sick. You're really ill. You can't get out of bed. You're just racked in pain and misery. And someone comes over from the church and bring, you know, brings you some you know, chicken soup or whatever it is they bring you. And they bring these words of comfort to you in your misery when you're trying to seek the Lord. You're getting what you deserve. You must not be walking with God. Not only are you a sinner, you do not know God. And as an elder, the only commentary I can give to that is, wow. God's brought me low to this place. I'm trying to seek God and to understand what's going on. And all you're going to do is bring this condemnation on me for, for which I don't deserve. Uh, and so he, this, this, this message of pain and rejection and condemnation and gloating uh, even comes through in this. And this is not helping Job in his plight at all. So now we'll go to his third friend, Zophar. This is friend number three, and this is rep- represented by Shemp, who was part of the original Vaudeville Act, but he, he didn't want to be involved in the movie shorts. He wanted to do his own, uh, his own comedy stuff. But once Curly passed away, then Shemp took the role and like a... Um, uh, it was uh, Cur- Curly, uh, Shemp, and Mo were all actually all brothers. So he, here is friend number three. He looks like he's got a little kinder face, but he is a brother of Mo, so he's going to continue to bring the pain. And then, uh, Shemp represents Zophar the Naamite. He's the one that we don't have a scriptural reference for, but he's, his origin's unknown. He's possibly a nomad prince. His words are the voice of the wilderness. And so after, after, after Moe's condemnation, here comes, uh, here comes the left hook. You deserve even more punishment than this. God will bless you if you return to him. The wicked flourish only for a short time. And kind of cons- couched in that message there is this idea, Job, that your whole life has been a fraud. You're like one of those TV preachers. You've had this hidden sin. You've, you've kept it from us. You've been so wealthy and so successful, and everyone looks up to you. But finally, God has decided to deal with you, that you never really knew him anyway. And it, your whole life has been counterfeit. And this is that, that you know, there was the jab, and now comes the left punch. And, he, and it's, Job is just not accepting that. He, he wants to hear from God and to find out what his answers are. So he becomes more and more obstinate to uh, the counsel that he receives. But fortunately... It all begins to tie, turn the tide with Elihu, who we read from here. And this is Curly. Curly was uh, the funniest of the, uh, the Three Stooges, at least in my opinion. Had all the great sound effects. 
And if you haven't seen him, you need to watch him on YouTube. It's worth it. He's the only Three Stooge I know who had an 80s pop song called The Curly Shuffle, which back in the day when Nancy and I would take long road trips and be on some treacherous mountain road, she would start singing The Curly Shuffle, and that kind of helped us keep our mind off of the, our impending demise. But anyway, let's look a little further at Elihu. He's called Elihu the Buzzite. Curly was called Curly because he had a buzz haircut. I tied him in with Elihu the Buzzite. If you don't get the connection, see me after church. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 21. He's a descendant of Abraham's brother Nahor, and he was the youngest of the men at the gathering, and thus he spoke last. Job had become more obstinate, and his heart had become more hardened by the, the words of condemnation he'd been receiving. And so he wasn't really in the mood to receive anything uh, from his first three friends. But when Elihu comes, he explains to Job that he needs to have his eyes fixed on God and not himself. And that was by far the best advice that Job received. But the problem is, is he had just, he, he had, he's been through all this disaster and financial loss and loss of some of his family. He's lost all of his money and he's been in pain. He's in, and while all the time he's suffering in pain, he has these friends that are just pointing the finger and yelling at him and, and saying, saying things that are not from God. And finally, when the truth of God comes to him, he's just not ready to receive this either. And we're all, we've all been in that situation, too, where you've been judged harshly or you're, you're in so much pain. And when you, find our, give it, you hear God's word at first or from his word or for, from uh, other godly people, you're just not ready to receive it. And so he doesn't receive even that counsel. So finally what happens is God shows up in chapter 37. It says that God comes in the whirlwind. He comes showing his mighty power and strength, his sovereignty and control over all things and comes in this terrifying way, especially the way that people often saw in Genesis where they saw, it seems like the patriarchs would see miraculous things happen or have miraculous encounters with God and Job is no different. And in, in Hebrew, the word for um, whirlwind there means hurricane. So that kind of brought to my you know, 1980s juvenile mind that I think what God did was is, 4,000 years at a time, he brought the German rock band, the Scorpions, and played a great rousing, rocking tune. And uh, uh, here, here comes God, and he says, here I am, Job, rock you like a hurricane. <laughs> and there's this terrifying experience, encounter with God, and realizing who he is, and he hears from God in the whirlwind in chapters 38 through 42. And God strongly states his sovereignty and power over all creation, which includes Job. He speaks of how we respect and fear the dangerous creatures, how much more we cannot stand before God. Whatever is under the whole earth is mine, God says. God, in the end, restores Job after Job repents in, uh, in uh, Job 42. And an interesting thing happens if you read the book of Job when you get to chapter 42. God, God restores him. He then condemns the first three friends, uh, Shemplary and Mo, for their bad counsel. And he, he tells them to go and offer a, offer a sacrifice for the sin. And then Job is supposed to pray for them that God would forgive their sin. And this is what they call in the Bible a, a type of Christ. It's an early onset of the ministry that Jesus is going to carry on later. These people have misrepresented God. And in God's eyes, they have sinned. And it's Job who's the victim who's been through so much pain and suffering that then prays for, for the restoration of his friends. And that's what Christ does for us, that we're, we're in this place where we have sinned, we're the ones who've condemned and judged him, and yet it is 
And it's through the power of his death and resurrection that he, he offers that place of sacrifice in our substitution and he prays for our salvation. And so it's a, it's a neat and wonderful picture. But we get to the end of the book here and it's been discussing Job's suffering and it just sort of ends there. God just sort of makes things right in his life, doesn't provide any answers and we're, we're left hanging. So what does God, uh, why does God allow pain and suffering? Well, it tells us in Genesis chapter 3 and Romans 8 that suffering is a consequence of sin which we will not be released from until uh, uh, either we are in heaven or in Revelation chapter 22 with the new, heaven, new heavens and the new earth. Now, the sin we're talking about is the curse that's on the land. There's this, this world that is slowly coming into an end and, and Jesus' glorious kingdom is coming again. And this life isn't all that there's meant to be. That while we're here, we're going to experience war and sickness and famine and freak storms and like the horrible fires that they've had in, in, in Maui this last week and just, just this senseless destruction that happens because we just live in a fallen world and good, uh, good and bad things happen. And as Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, just as earthly blessings come, so pain and suffering to the just and the unjust. Now, Pastor Brandon's job and our job would be much easier if we just came to Christ and everything in our life worked out perfectly, that we no longer had any sadness or hurt or tough things in our life. But that's just simply not true. We, we, we experience this, uh, whether believer or not, we, we experience the same pains and stuff like that that go through life and tragedy. But through our faithful trust in God, he will deliver us from those. So can suffering sometimes help us? Uh, for Job, uh, what he went through finally helped him to look past himself in the pain and see God in a new way. And for some of you who've been in hard things, you've been around the Christian life for a while and you've experienced some tragedy, sometimes going to the book of Job can be oddly comforting. Some of our great worship songs, like the one we did this morning, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, come from the book of Job. There can be this, this sense of realizing that even in the hard things, even in the depth of our despair, that God is there with us and he will see us through, even if we don't get the answers as quickly as we want. Romans chapter 8 tells us that if, as we share in Christ's sufferings, in that we may also share in his glory. There's a thing as Christian believers, that, especially for people around the world in different aspects where uh, pro- proclaiming the name of Jesus may lead to you know, ostracization from your family, loss of job, and in some cases, loss of your life and in, intense persecution. And God says that we will be rewarded in some way for being faithful, even when we've had to suffer unjustly. And 1 Corinthians 12, 26 And unlike Job's friends, we should seek to bear one another's sufferings. Well, let's look at that for a moment, because we we can kind of say that, and then just kind of where do you go from there? What can we do for others? Well, it tells us in Proverbs to pray for people, and that's uh, it tells us again in First Peter chapter five. I'm sorry, I got the wrong verse there. In James chapter five, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. I encourage you all of you, not only to, to pray for the needs of you and your family, but to seek to be active on the prayer sheet at church or as you're part of your small group here and you hear the needs of people in prayer, be willing to pray for people and commit to doing that, that God will intercede on their behalf to heal them or to give them the guidance and direction that they need. And also what we can do is it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, to bear one another's burdens. Well, how do we do that? Well, you have people in your midst that are suffering, people that need uh, the comfort of you coming to see them, providing a meal, 
helping them to go get prescriptions or take them to the doctor if they can't get there themselves. Be there even if it means taking out their trash. Someone will take the trash cans up and back because they can't get down there to the street to do that. Seek ways that you, practical ways that you can let people know that you know them, you see them, and you, uh, you want to be a minister and that comfort to them and speak Jesus to them. Uh, and as always, it's a verse that we can always talk about in the Bible. Uh, it's from James chapter 1, verse 19. Do not judge quickly. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And Romans 8 tells us in uh, verses 18 through 23 that suffering leads hope that we will one day see redemption. And for some of you, your life hasn't been like Job in that victory pose there. Your life has been hard for a long time. You haven't always had a lot of good things happen to you. And it seems sometimes you just go from calamity to disaster to tragedy. And realize that God is with you there too. And that God is there with, in the depths of that and that he will be with you. And even if this life isn't everything that you want it to be, one day you will be richly rewarded in heaven for being his child. And so now we go once again to that last verse. And I encourage you, as I did it twice here, that you would, uh, you would commit this one to your hearts and, and, and really put it on as you do your small groups this week or in your devotion just to reread this and let it wash over you. Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this awesome opportunity to bring your word. I pray that you would work in each of our hearts, Lord, wherever we're at, whether we're in good times or bad times, whether we're in joy or sorrow. Lord, that we would, we would fill you in the midst of us with which, whatever life brings and help us, Lord, to be instruments of peace, to bring Jesus to this world and to those around us. Help us to have kind, compassionate hearts, Lord, and to seek you in all things. In your name we pray. So now we're going to move into our time of communion. The ushers are bringing the elements around and uh, give you a couple thoughts to think about here before we, we conclude. Do you need healing? Is there something in your life that you need God's touch? When the, when the time is right, we'll have elders uh, at the tables there come for prayer if that's what you need. Do you need forgiveness and reconciliation? Have, uh, have you been browbeat by other people in your Christian life and you have those hurts and you need to let those go? Or even worse, have you been that person who's brought that condemnation when you haven't known the whole story, when you've said harsh words or brought judgment upon people that you really shouldn't have and that you need to seek their forgiveness and reconciliation? And do we need to be, uh, can we be ambassadors of grace? Is there people here in the midst of a church, in your family, in your work, in all aspects of your life, your neighbors, where you can be that Jesus to them, that you can come and bring compassion and love and forgiveness and help them for this to be an opportunity for their lives to change. So let's spend some time in prayer.